Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, November the 9th, and yesterday was a very historic day, Annika. Yeah, Joe Biden claimed victory and is promising to unify America. The people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory. Yeah, the question we'll answer in today's briefing is, can he unify such a divided country? And what's next in this wild election ride? Let's get to the big headlines. As you heard, after four long days of counting votes, Joe Biden has won the 2020 presidential election. I sought this office to restore the soul of America, to rebuild the backbone of this nation, and to make America respected around the world again, and to unite us here at home. Yes, Joe Biden is the oldest president-elect in history, while his vice president-elect Kamala Harris is the first female, black and first Asian vice president. While I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. Whatever your politics there, it was an amazing speech. Now, at the moment, Joe Biden has more than 75 million votes, while Donald Trump has close to 71 million. But Biden has 290 votes in the Electoral College, 20 more than the 270 he needed to win, while Trump has 214. But two swing states, Georgia and North Carolina, are yet to be called. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing result. The Electoral College numbers are getting pretty close to the way Trump won in 2016. Uh, It's been a weekend of celebrations and commiseration, depending on which side you're on. America spoke. We won. We won. Biden won. Biden won. Wow. Incredible scenes, especially in Washington, D.C. But look, the tone was a little different for Trump supporters. Yeah, drain the swamp and we love Trump. Annika, it's been interesting. I think a lot of people feared there would be a lot more uh, Trump supporters on the streets and there might even be violence given what's happened, but it doesn't seem to have gone that way. Not yet. Look, we'll see how this plays out as they go to court and there's a few challenges ahead. But at the end of the day, you know, we have seen different presidents elected at different times. Bush was very polarising. Obama was very polarising. It has been a different tone under Trump, but I think they will get back to some equilibrium at some stage. Yeah, and staying with the election, as you heard, Joe Biden has won, but Donald Trump is refusing to concede at this stage. Yeah, at this stage, it doesn't look like he's going to. His lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, held a press conference yesterday, weirdly outside a Four Seasons landscaping store. Who was it called by? All the, oh my goodness, all the networks. Wow. All the networks. We have to forget about the law. Judges don't count. Don't be ridiculous. Networks don't get to decide elections. Courts do. Yeah, so he's essentially sowing the seeds that it's a a media conspiracy. But Annika, this is the way elections are always called, isn't it? Yeah, look, they do actually use the figures coming in. They don't just decide that he's at a point where he's not going to be able to win. So as we see in Australia, we have a bunch of networks. They are actually making these decisions off the count being counted and and they will eventually call it for a winner when the person trailing just can't make up enough ground to win. Yeah, and of course there will be court action. Trump has already confirmed that his legal team will mount challenges against the results in the courts beginning on Tuesday our time. Uh, On the weekend he tweeted, I won this election by a lot. Um, As you'd expect, Twitter 
is still slapping misinformation warnings on nearly everything he's tweeting now. And CNN is reporting that Trump's senior advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has recently approached him about perhaps conceding defeat. Imagine trying to have that conversation. Oh. But <laughs> despite that, the president has sent out a flurry of fresh tweets this morning saying that the election was stolen and it's fraud. Yeah, he's saying, we believe these people are thieves, the big city machines are corrupt, this was a stolen election. It does seem, though, he's not fighting as hard as he normally does, Annika, yesterday going and playing golf rather than standing up and giving press conferences. We have seen for a while now that Trump has admitted that he actually liked his life before being president. In fact, he seemed to suggest that he wouldn't be that disappointed if he had to go back to his old life. But I think the whole Trump persona is never give in. And even if he's forced to move out of the White House in January, I don't think he will ever concede that he lost this election. Yeah, we'll keep getting deep into the US election in a moment in our briefing topic. But here are some other headlines. Major changes for Victoria from today with the so-called Ring of Steel between Melbourne and regional Victoria finally coming down. Victoria will be once again uh, united as one single state. The 25 kilometre travel limit will go. The Melbourne regional Victoria border comes down. Uh, families will be able to be together again. You're watching this closely, aren't you, Annika? You're basically in your mind at the border ready to go in and visit your family. <laughs> I booked accommodation yesterday. I will be there the moment they allow me to come back to Canberra without having to quarantine. And so that should be able to happen on the 23rd? Yeah, going down beforehand so that I can come back on that day too. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, the state is on an incredible run in Victoria. Um, nine days without a single COVID-19 case. It looks like, Annika, they've pretty much got eradication just for this moment at least, touch wood. Um, these new restrictions, um, there's a whole lot of them from today. Gyms, museums, cinemas, overnight accommodation and live music can start back up while uh, the number of people allowed at weddings, funerals, restaurants, pubs and cafes will be increased. But the numbers are still pretty low. They're still being quite careful. Yeah, the next round of changes is coming on November 22 when the state moves to what it's called COVID normal. And a COVID vaccine will begin production in Australia from today. Yeah, CSL will begin producing vials of the promising Oxford University vaccine in the hope that it will receive final approvals and then be distributed quickly. They're planning to produce 30 million doses and it's expected to take around 50 days. This is a little bit like America's Operation Warp Speed, where you get the vaccines ready before they're actually approved. So you can just roll them straight out. All right, in just a moment, what's next for America? As you heard earlier, Joe Biden called for unity uh, in his victory speech in Delaware yesterday. But the challenges facing America will be very divisive, bringing COVID under control and managing the economic recovery from the pandemic. Climate change too, Biden has pledged to rejoin the Paris Agreement. And then there's the extreme racial division over there as well. Yeah, so in this briefing topic, we're going to ask, what's next for Biden's America? How is this all going to play out? And those policy challenges, I think, are a really interesting, Annika. It's sort of almost 
goes against this rhetoric of, of unifying because those issues are so difficult and divisive to deal with with the American public. And just like we've seen over here for a long time, there's a huge chance Biden won't actually control the Senate. So a lot of his big ticket items, the things he's promised, will struggle to get through. And just because Trump's gone away, it doesn't mean Trumpism hasn't. You know, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump and it will be very difficult to get policies that I guess bring America together in this next phase. Yeah, so if you look at the two big ones he talked about in his speech, um, one was COVID. He talked about getting a panel of experts together so that they'd be ready to act in, in January. But how do you actually do that? Firstly, how do you do that, you know, from the federal White House perspective when so much of it's controlled by the states, but also in a, in a country where freedom is everything? Like, is he really going to lock down some of those people and imagine some of the backlash there'd be in America? And he actually does have limits, as you just said. You know, we have seen clashes between state governors and and Donald Trump in the past, and you would expect that that might be something Biden might have to deal with as well. Yeah, and the climate one's so tricky as well because a lot of people see action on climate change as a threat to their jobs in those sort of Rust Belt states that he's been working so hard to win back. Some of his promises include more renewable energy, and of course that will have to pass the Senate. So he might actually struggle to even deliver some of those core promises, and that means getting people that actually voted for you offside. All right, well, we're going to ask questions around those policy areas and also just what the next steps are, because it's so different from the way our system works here in Australia. We have Matthew Knott uh, with us. He's a reporter for the City Morning Herald and The Age. He's their Washington correspondent, and he's been travelling all around America in the lead-up to this election. Matthew Knott, thank you so much for joining us. What have you seen in the last 24 hours, and what does it tell you about the mood of the nation right now? Oh, here in D.C., it's been uh, absolutely electric. Uh, It started basically as soon as the TV networks, it was CNN first, I believe, that said uh, Biden will win Pennsylvania and therefore the presidency instantly outside my house. People started honking their horns, cheering, running out of their house to celebrate, really heading down uh, to the White House. And it was just such a big difference to... Uh, earlier in the year, in the summer here, when people were flocking to the streets, but they were going out to protest against uh, police brutality and there was a lot of anger, uh, this time there was just a lot of happiness. Uh, Washington, D.C. is very, very much a Democratic Party city. And you saw these scenes in big cities around America where Donald Trump is not popular. Yeah, it must be a relief to have some positivity on the streets. Um, What do you make of Trump's reaction? We saw that he was playing golf yesterday and he sent a few tweets, but he doesn't seem to be really on the front foot. What do you make of his reaction and what do you think he'll do next? Yeah, he has gone very quiet for him, really. You know, if he was really trying to overturn what, what seems to be the final result, he could be going onto Fox News, he could be doing media interviews, he could be out there trying to uh, get his supporters to take action, and he's not doing that, which does raise the question of whether he's kind of going through the motions. He can't accept uh, defeat. You know, there's no sign that he's going to concede, but that deep down he and his advisors know that it's really over. The question is just whether he'll get there eventually and, and how long it's going to take. And Noddy, he has said that he's going to take legal action, I think, in six states, and there are recounts in Georgia and North Carolina. Is there possible this, you know, could this actually change anything? 
It seems very, very unlikely. The first thing is that to be doing this across so many states is very different to, say, the 2000 election where it was all centred around Florida. That was around 500 votes. It was very focused to that issue. This, uh, the Trump campaign is spreading out all these issues across many, many states, different things in each one, and it doesn't seem to be adding up to much. They haven't been having much luck in the courts so far. Uh, judges have been throwing out some of the things that are very technical about observers. Uh, recounts, they yeah happen automatically in some states when it's close. There's not a history of that usually overturning the result unless it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of votes. So uh, pretty much everyone who's trying to look at it objectively says there's not much prospect of the final uh, result being changed. Now, members of the US Electoral College are yet to vote. That will happen next month. Will that give the Trump campaign, I guess, another chance to challenge? That is really interesting because this is the quirk of one of the quirks of the American system is that (laughs) the final vote of the the people in these states is not uh, final. You have to go through this elaborate Electoral College vote process. In the past, some people have gone rogue, really, and not respected the will of the voters. They're called faithless electors. Uh, There hasn't been much talk of that this time, which has surprised me. Uh, and that's when it really does become official. Yeah, right now what we have is the media projecting out these races and calling it, but then it has to be when these electors get together and certify the results that it becomes official. But the thing is also that if Biden does get up to about 306, it's looking like, in the Electoral College, he's got a bit of a buffer there if something goes awry in one state. Now, Matthew, another really strange quirk, which you'd be aware of, we worked in Canberra together and usually if you lose the election, you start shredding Monday. You know, you've got days to move out of your offices. They're in the White House until January 20. That's when the Bidens are due to move in. So, you know, what happens if he just doesn't move out or the challenges aren't resolved by then? Who's president? Uh, well, if if the results are certified, then Joe Biden is the president uh, and Trump would be essentially trespassing in the White House <laughs> if he was to stay there. And the Biden campaign has said this. They've said, you know, the U.S. Secret Service is up to the task of removing trespassers. I, I would be shocked if Trump went that far. I think he might sulk a bit on the way out, but that he would... Uh, leave. Another interesting thing will be whether Melania, how she behaves, you know, would she, for its tradition for the first ladies to meet each other and say how it works, would she meet with Jill Biden, even if Trump isn't participating in this process? But yeah, it is a long time until Biden would come in. That's going to be winter. Uh, the coronavirus almost certainly is going to get worse here. There's talk of the cases doubling, and that would probably mean the death doubling again. And, yeah, the question is how much is uh, Trump going to be doing in that time um, in terms of governing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, really good questions. Um, Interesting you point out um, that COVID is going to be so hard to manage. And I I found that the funny thing about Biden's speech yesterday was that on one hand, he's promising to unify America, but the two policy challenges he brought up are really, really divisive. One is climate change and he wants to rejoin Paris straight away. And the other, as you mentioned there, is COVID. 
what can he actually do from the White House? And and will Americans respond very well to you know, measures that we've seen uh, are successful here, like lockdowns. He's actually incredibly limited in terms of what he can do of COVID, you know, in terms of the real policies here, the state, not dissimilar to Australia, but there's just so much more diversity here in terms of the state governors really control uh, the show. It's them who would decide uh, lockdowns and whatnot. There is no real appetite here for lockdowns. It's, It's very different to Australia. It's moving around the country. Uh, people are traveling, people are going out, people are moving around, they might wear a mask, but there's a lot of fatigue here. Even in you know more progressive places, there's no desire to go back into some kind of lockdown. Uh, the things he'll be doing is you know really trying to foreground the advice of scientists. But the question is, after winter and things are getting worse, uh, you know we could be up to around 400,000 deaths it's hard to get it under control when it's been you know, circulating around the country for almost a year. Uh, it's hard to get it fixed. You really are getting it vaccine territory by then, hopefully. And what about the climate question? Do you think there's a lot of people in those Rust Belt states that, you know, Biden's worked so hard to win back over that will feel like their jobs or, you know, people in the, in the mining and, and oil industries as well, their jobs will be threatened by strong action on climate? Mm, well, I think the thing, it's looking most likely now that there will be a divided government so that Republicans will keep control of the Senate. So that will probably prevent a very strong climate bills uh, or taking right. action on things like fracking, which Biden has already said he wouldn't do, but he will join Paris. So you're going to see the US, you know, re-entering the global framework for things like climate change, but you're not going to see big legislation passed that will affect people on the ground very quickly. Okay. So there's a chance he might be able to walk some middle ground there, which he's going to have to do on so many things if he really, Mm. you know, is going to be able to unify this divided country. Um, Matthew Nott, it's been great reading your coverage. Thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. No worries at all. So that was Matthew Knott in Washington from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Um, Sounds like he's having a lot of fun, Annika. (laughs) Look, I think delirious might be the answer. (laughs) It's an incredible workload so many Aussie journos have been doing over there. Matthew's doing an amazing job. Yeah, and what did you think about um, the climate question? Because if America's going to, you know, join Paris again and, and sort of start potentially leading the conversation on climate change. You've also seen China commit to net zero emissions by 2060. Is this going to put more pressure on on our leaders to do more here in Australia? I think it gives Scott Morrison more protection, I guess, to stay in the Paris Climate Agreement. He has committed to that. There has always been rumblings from his backbench that that's not the right way to go. It's a, it's a handful of people, but we have seen climate change policy bring down a lot of leaders in the past. But when you've got, uh, I guess, an international ally on the scale of America and Biden sticking with you in Paris, it sort of, I guess, mutes that argument from any dissenting voices that we shouldn't be there. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, That was fascinating to hear what's going on in America right now and to look forward on how those um, sort of policy debates will will evolve. Thank you so much for listening. Um, It's been fascinating bringing you this coverage out of America in this very bizarre and historic time. We'll catch you tomorrow on The Briefing. A Podcast One production.